Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. All right, welcome to the Bleachers. It is it is Jeff Blum. I uh, I am one of the co-hosts on this Bleacher Blums podcast. I've got my good buddy David Tuttle. He is chomping at the bit to give a conversation <laughs> about some uh, some fantasy football and and some Monday night football. I didn't actually have a chance to watch that game, but my name is Jeff Blum, fourteen year major league veteran. Now I, I talk for a living. Amazingly enough, thank God for uh, going to school. At a, at a place that actually had a reputation of producing people that can complete sentences. And on the other side, I've got David Tuttle, who I just mentioned, all-around phenomenal human, played at Santa Clara University, uh, did not go to school with Dan Pastorini, but went to the school that Dan Pastorini went to, uh, and also played on Team USA. We, we have so many crossover opponents and teammates over the years that we decided to become friends and talk on this podcast and have a good time. And uh, you can reach us at Bleacher Blums is our Twitter and Instagram handle if you want to get up-to-date news and notes from our illustrious uh, producer, Mark Ramos. He also produces our swag on BleacherBlums.com. Check that out, because every time I say something crazy on uh, on an Astros broadcast, it usually ends up on a t-shirt, and Mark's helping us out putting those things out there. But, Tuttle, before we get into the thick of things, how, how are <laughs> yeah, you sorry. doing, my friend? You are amped. great. I know. I went. I went right into the podcast. I apologize. The cleaning lady's coming today, so I, I'm assuming the dog <laughs> and the cleaning lady and everybody's gonna ruin the ruin the middle of the podcast. I mean, extraordinary producer aside, now, it's sometimes hard this, to get some of the stuff. Is this out. cleaning lady coming to to clean up the mess of your fantasy football week or the destruction Ooh, yes. that was caused by Monday Night Football? I mean, or is this just like a weekly? <laughs> yeah, this is just every every two weeks. But, uh, control. but you know what? It's funny that you say that because I think that's a really good point, which is every two weeks we have the cleaning lady, you know, come just freshen up the house as we're working hard. But uh, maybe during the fantasy football season, I need her to come every week. <laughs> I as think that's probably a fair house. Hey, it's probably a fair <laughs> assessment. I mean, like, yeah, you clean up the mess I made on Sunday. I mean, I need I do need some help. I was going to reach out to the viewers today or the listeners and say, you know, any any advice, waiver wire advice, anything I'm doing wrong. Uh, I think we talked about our teams last week a little bit. Dak Prescott's my quarterback. You know, I understand playing Tampa, and Tampa's got a great defense, and they're defensive, you know, kind of driven. But for Dak Prescott to get hurt in the last play of the game or second to last play of the game, um, I'm going to have to be looking elsewhere for a quarterback. And I know the quarterback is not the key to fantasy football, but uh, – it sure helps to have somebody who's going to uh, put up some numbers. But like you said, we don't have to jump into that now. Yeah, the cleaning lady's going to interject. The dog <laughs> is going to attack her during the middle of the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I was chomping at the bit to get this stuff. So, yeah, what's on tap? We have yeah. some fantasy football discussion. Jeff and I both came out on the uh, short end of the stick. Losers. Um, we talked last. Losers. <laughs> That's right. It is only week one, though. Hey, we're baseball players. We oh, grind panic. it out. There's 162 oh, of these things. Oh, no, there aren't. There's only uh, 14. Oh, shit. We're in trouble. <laughs> oh, snap. I need uh, people. Yeah. Oh. Um, but, uh, but so we have a little fantasy football talk. We have uh, last podcast, we talked about analytics versus the art of this. And last night, it came to uh, my attention, the next-gen stats through Monday Night Football last night. We want to talk about that a little bit. 
Um, there is some baseball to talk about. The playoffs are fastly approaching. Um, we yeah, have a baseball. Uh, on, showdown. Boring. Yeah. Yeah. Mets Braves showdown. Oh, baseball. Well, dog day still, but this is when it gets interesting. Um, and then I had, what else did I have on there? Was it, oh, college football. We had talked about Scott Frost oh, a couple times football. ago. Woo, Pig Suey the- is in the top 10. I can't believe it. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then what the last the thing, I was going to I was gonna throw this at you. I texted you so you might have seen it, but there's an article mm-hmm. on The Athletic uh, about gold glovers, uh, gold glove players, uh, gold gloves being awarded for utility players. I love this and idea. Based, I know, but based on the tweet we had this week um, that everybody pointed out on the broadcast where Jeff Blum had the, uh, the longest errorless streak for Houston Astro at third base. Yeah, I'm always late to the I party, think, man. I know, but I'm just saying it's great. You could have, I mean, you know, this is had some hardware. This is actually, yeah, get some hardware. We should retroactively, they do it with sacks. They're like, well, if Deacon Jones played in the 90s, Deacon <laughs> Jones would have had 200. We're going to do that for Jeff Blum. Yeah, the other exactly. funny, the other funny part about it is last two podcasts ago, we talked about, um, the unionization of minor league players. And I was saying I was late to the party. I'm saying this is something I really would have benefited from uh, had it been around. So, you know, we're both getting a little taste of that, you know, old man medicine, which is, gosh, back in my day, if they had only offered gold gloves for utility players and I had a 62-game streak of no errors, maybe I would have been... Anyway, that's what's on tap, brought to you by St. Arnold. Uh, Blum, do you have anything that's uh, supposed to be on tap other than that? No. <laughs> Good. So, uh, first first topic, since we've already... I, I had jumped into it early. We should talk about fantasy football. So, last year, I brought up the uh, the rear, the caboose, the, the tail end of our fantasy football league. I had the worst record, I believe. And this Good. week, I had the honor of playing John Adams, who was right ahead of me. This was the, <laughs> the week one toilet bowl, as it were. And uh, he was slated to win. I don't like the projections. I never like the projections. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it just throws everything out of whack. He was slated to win, and then after Matt Stafford threw up a horrible game on Thursday night, all of a sudden the tide shifted in Tuttle's favor. <laughs> I was like, "This is gonna, this is gonna be awesome, brother." I got a chance to win my first game, and Dak Prescott was my quarterback. He got hurt, and I still. I was ahead of John by like three points, I think, or four points going into Monday Night Football, and he had Denver's defense. Denver's defense pulled out five points in that ugly loss, and I lost 86 to 85 or something in that realm. So you didn't even get to there is hope. points? I know. Oh, my God. Not even close. I That's Holy my that's my moogly. Blummer. That's my MO, dude. My quarterback got zero points. My oh defense my. got like two points. I mean, I'm damn I'm bro struggling. I yeah, know. I lost. I lost anyway. by two and a half, but I had a I had 106 points, and I had Ooh. two guys that didn't score at all. So I mean, there's hope yeah. in there, but a couple of yeah. my flyers just completely, for lack of a better didn't term, shit the, shit the bed. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they didn't clipped. fly. Who oh, were your flyers? Man. It was Irv Smith, the tight end for uh, mm-hmm. Minnesota. I thought he was going to get a little bit of action, but Justin Jefferson just absolutely torched uh, Green Bay, who looked terrible. Um, 
shoot, there was another guy. Alan Robinson was on there too. He only got me like a point. Ooh. You know, yeah, he looked terrible. And then come yeah. to find out that Alvin Kamara, you know, barely had any touches, and he's got a bad rib that he didn't announce until after the game. I'm going, bro, got a fantasy yeah. football team. You need to let me know about these things before <laughs> they happen, man. Not that I had anybody <laughs> to back him up, but <laughs> no, <laughs> would have been ain't nice that to the know. truth though? Yeah. I think my game, because actually Ezekiel Elliott had a decent game. My game came down to Dak Prescott, my quarterback, scoring me, you know, two points or something. And I think quarterbacks yeah, that's amazing. just, you know, you got to at least, I mean, if he got me 10 points, I win that game. Eight points. I mean, if he got me five points, I would have won that game. So Yeah, but anyway. how does he not rack up all kinds of, I mean, he's so good and he's got Pollard coming out of the backfield. He's got Ezekiel Elliott. He's got yeah. CeeDee Lamb. I mean, Schultz, yeah. Dalton Schultz was supposed to be a banger too, and he's not doing anything. Yeah. yeah, he you know he actually did well. They just didn't. They had I think they had three first downs on the first drive. We don't have to get into the analytics too much here. And then they kicked the field goal to take the lead, and they didn't get a first down for like four series in a row after that. So I do. I mean, to get under the hood a little bit, Tampa's defense. I mean, Todd Bowles oh. is the head coach. They're we always talk so about good. Tom Brady, like oh he's the greatest. Since it's like their defense is so it's like good. Manning at the end of his career, just kind of manage a little bit and let the defense go. That's right. So, so you know, in Dallas's defense, you know, I mean, McCarthy is. Eh, no I don't want to go Dallas. that far. Come on, but no, no, no. McCarthy is like the Tony Larusa of the NFL. I'm not a oh, huge dear. Dallas fan. I mean, but anyway. Yeah. So hey, so I, that's that that's being said, doing. how many how many waiver claims do you have currently ready to go that you're waiting to fire so, off by the end of the day? It's funny you say that because in my other league, no, I have three in my head and I haven't entered them I've yet. Got three yeah. li- I've got three on my phone that I'm checking every 10 minutes hoping they go through. Oh, when does the waiver wire? No, <laughs> that no happens idea. at That's midnight though. Oh, no. It happens, no, I think, checking. at midnight. All right. Well, I'm going to put them in. I haven't put mine in yet. I usually kind of... This is a problem for me because I need a quarterback. I did not draft two quarterbacks. So I need to get in the waiver wire now. Um, but... Uh, do I get before you were you were the eighth pick and I was the sixth? Yeah, pick, but I had more points than you by like a lot. I understand that, but <laughs> you were the eighth pick and I or I was the eighth pick and you were the sixth pick. It was the other way around. I picked before you, so your waiver claim will go. Your first waiver claim will go before me. I, anyway, what I was going to say is I don't always get in the waivers. I let the waivers kind of filter themselves out, and then I go in and kind of cherry you know cherry pick these guys like oh i'll take this guy because i need a defense again and i need some other things but i need a quarterback bad i got to get in the waiver wire now and i've got three off the off the top of my head that i'm you know that i'm considering so you already got them entered maybe i'll enter them while we're on the podcast i think that's good i got to get them in the i got to get them in the hopper i do think i'm full i do think it's usually tuesday at midnight is usually how i think it goes east coast west coast yeah i think east coast russian oh sweet it'll say in the rules russian time zone i love it (laughs) so you got three claims you're gonna be checking it all day you're fired up dude i'm gonna be halfway through the ball game tonight going damn is it midnight yet i need these guys i need to figure out my lineup for next week panic and i'm freaking out man are you on east coast time in yes i thought it was yeah i thought it was central yesterday i turned on the game and it was over i was like what happened to the game no yeah we're detroit's east coast apparently yeah but the game started at 6:42, 6:40. Also, because right. they've got these weird school times uh, where they're starting these games early, so everybody can get there and then get out and get rested for school the next day. Oh, 
Wow, Detroit. Who knew how forward-thinking they were? I know, <laughs> right? Yeah, so advanced. My daughter had soccer practice. She's in eighth grade. She had soccer practice till nine thirty last night. It's like, wait a Holy. second. Holy! I need to. I know. I need to get them a Detroit. She in the MLS? Like, what the heck? Yeah, like what's happening, <laughs> <laughs> dude? Good stuff. Hey, leagues yeah. are tough. Not just youth leagues. How about the collegiate ranks? There is Ooh. some madness going on. And how about? Scott Frost, you brought this up, and I couldn't believe it. I made fun. I'm like, dude, this guy's going to get – after his first week loss, I was like, man, this guy's going to get canned immediately. And then the next week, he's gone, dude. This guy, what, had a two-game two, two game, uh, season before he got blown up and kicked out of Nebraska. You know, it's been more than that, and I looked under the hood a little bit because the, the news yesterday was quite amazing. He made some ridiculous decisions, yeah. Yeah, he's – but, you know, Scott Frost was a quarterback at Nebraska – and Trev Alberts, or Trey Alberts, is the uh, athletic coordinator. He was a linebacker at Nebraska. They, I'm sure they were teammates or cross paths. Scott Frost was a great offensive coordinator at Oregon. And I say great, I mean, you know, there was some great coaching up there. But, you know, Oregon's offense five, weapons, six yeah. years ago. Yeah, they were fantastic. And then he went to uh, Central Florida, and they were 13-0. and And so his resume was solid. So there's nothing wrong with that. I said this you know, before, and we don't have to get into the weeds about Nebraska football, but they do have an inflated uh, opinion and inflated ego about their football program and where they uh, where they sit in the hierarchy. You know, I mean, I think Oklahoma's kind of kept their standard, but Nebraska used to run that wishbone offense with Tom Osborne, and you know, they just they don't do it the same as they used to. But here's the here's the kicker for Scott Frost: he was like 15 and 31 um, at Nebraska. But this is where somebody pointed this out to me at my gym. They were saying, this is where you know the boosters run the organization. And you brought up Pig Suey, so it'll be interesting to see. Scott Frost got fired and got a $15 million buyout. If they waited till October 1st, the buyout would have been $7 million. Oregon had that press conference. Oregon, uh, The ex-coach uh, Ed Oregon for uh, LSU. Oh, yeah, that's right. Did you see that Orgeron. presser he yeah, did? Yeah. He's like, no, yeah, they I don't came in, they fired me, but they said I got seventeen million dollars. He goes, which door do I go out of? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And he, you know, these buyouts are insane. But you're right about the They're timing insane. of these things. But that's that's what I'm saying. Like in the in in Major League Baseball or any sort of like payroll play, they would have just waited till October first. I mean, what do you have to wait three weeks and now you save yourself eight million bucks? Like, at what is Nebraska going to do? Who cares? I mean, they're already out losing the first two games. Yeah, well, I think it was the losing to uh, North Dakota or North Dakota State. They lost to one of those teams that are, you know, they're not an FBS team, right? Or they're a Almost as bad as lose, losing to Appalachian State. Yeah, hey, there was that. I mean, that that was another question I was going to pose to you. They said, what was better this weekend? Was the NFL or college football? And somebody said, if Alabama had lost to Texas, college oh football would have... No, no, they that would have been the winner, right? So you have Notre yep. Dame lose, you have... Uh, you have um, Nebraska lose, obviously that Texas A&M lost, and then if if Alabama had lost, but I do now we're jumping all over. But I I I've been thinking about this. So every year I always feel like the Heisman Trophy is this like popularity contest, and every week it's like you know yeah. the quarterback at you you know at Ohio State threw six touchdowns. It doesn't matter if it was against like little sisters of the blind. I was it's like say it's directional. Yeah, it's like you know south. Yeah, it's right. It's street. Yeah, State. but it's like yeah. six touchdowns, no interceptions, 500 yards. In three I quarters. think that's right. But I don't think this is uh I don't think this is that bold of a statement, but you don't hear it a lot, which is everybody's like, "Oh, you know, 
they he was in the Heisman front runner until he put up you know forty yards against a good defense, and now he's out. Bryce Young, I actually think, enhanced his his Heisman uh, nobility and his backed up his Heisman campaign in a twenty to nineteen game. The three, the last three drives and the last plays that he made, I think, got him some more credibility for the Heisman in a 2019 game, and we don't see that in modern college football. I don't know if you agree with that, well, or if you no, were able I to agree. watch the end of that game. I agree in the sense that you don't see Alabama playing tight ball games. That's what's crazy. So why why shouldn't you give Bryce Young a little more credit for actually, you know, turning that game around and winning the game? Yep. Because that's what the Heisman Trophy is all about. It's, it's the best college football player. Obviously, the numbers go with it. But we always talk about the MVP in baseball or basketball in the NFL. Are they on winning teams? And why can't you put you know the Heisman Trophy in that same situation? Yes, there's going to be guys that go out there and just put up astronomical numbers, uh, have the year of their life. But at the same time, they're on some crud team who's not winning. Yeah. Why not give it to the guy that actually orchestrated a come-from-behind win? We don't see that in football. At least in college football, I feel that often with a Heisman Trophy winner. Usually, it's a guy that just goes out, like you said, six touchdowns every week and blows the doors off people and puts up numbers that uh, are setting records all over the place. Yeah, I just I watched the end of that game and I thought I, I there was never a doubt when uh, Bryce Young made that third down run, that play that he made, yeah. and then I, I just I just was like, you know what, this guy's an unbelievable competitor and an unbelievable football player. And that was a close game. And I just thought most years you hear the narrative just switch to, well, he did only throw for 122 yards that game and no touchdowns. It's like, so that takes him out of the Heisman race. And I hope that the writers and the voters look at that and go, you know what, this dude's for real. I know he won it last year, but you know, if they continue on their, you know, their typical trajectory and they, you know, he shines out the rest of the year, I think that this 20 to 19 game was probably more indicative of the Heisman than any of his six touchdowns, seven touchdown uh, type of games. I agree. And maybe by the end of it, when he does have those crazy numbers, they'll look back at this game and say, okay, yeah, he's a winner too. He went out there and beat, uh, beat Texas on the road. And that was what, what else is crazy about that too, is that Alabama playing for the first time, actually not at a neutral site, actually at a road venue on campus of another school is crazy to me too. That was kind of wild to think about. But, uh, last night was, I didn't have a chance to watch the game, but there was a lot of hubbub going on around the Monday night football game because the return of Russell Wilson out there to, uh, Seattle now playing with the Denver Broncos. Somebody said something about the uh, suit he wore to the stadium. Did you happen to see that by any chance? I didn't see it. I did. You know, it was a little combination of like Dean Martin uh, and <laughs> and Sammy Davis Jr. tied with Dumb and Dumber. Believe it or not, it was it was what? a little lighter than the little lighter than the Jeff Daniels uh, or yeah Jeff Daniels and or Drew Carey or uh, Drew Carey Jim Carey. Lloyd I'm not Christmas. sure who wore the orange one. I can't remember who the wore the orange. Uh, one. I that think was, that was Jim that was Carrey. Lloyd Christmas. Oh, okay, yeah. So he wore the Jeff Daniels version, a lighter blue kind of mm -hmm. combination between Dumb and Dumber, Sammy Davis Jr. And actually, the comment about it, I'm glad you brought it up. The comment was, "You better win if you're wearing a suit like that, or do you bring, <laughs> or do you bring two outfits to the, you know, two outfits to the party?" Because uh, dude, he looked like a friggin' bucket of bluebell mint chip ice cream. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Russ is Russ. But that it's an interesting point though because obviously they didn't win and yeah. uh it's kind of a question for you. This is what you I got fired up on earlier when we were chit-chatting off air is 
they brought in McManus uh, in Seattle on the road and fourth and five situation to kick a 64-yard field goal. Yes, if he makes it, they win the game. Next-gen stats, my favorite, when they pull out the analytics, uh, gave that a 14% chance of a make and a win. Whereas if you gave Russ, let Russ cook, gave Russell Wilson the ball fourth and five um, with some time left, obviously, to go for it. Um, there's a 42% chance they make a first down there and then, you know, go on to, you know, have a, uh, I guess, a reasonable distance field goal. I think the average field goal attempt in the uh, NFL is 40 yards. So get a first down there, uh, you know, get the clock down and you have a more manageable. What do you, I mean, we've talked about this a ton from baseball and then the NFL, but do you want your $250 million quarterback uh, with the ball in his hand, ball in his hands with the game on the line? Or do you just want to leave it up to the kicking game? Because we know what many coaches think about kickers. Oh, dude. Well, especially after this week, I feel like this week in the NFL, kickers just all of a sudden just imploded. I mean, there were who at Pittsburgh and Cincinnati trying it was a kickoff between, you know, between their kickers at the end of the game. Finally, Pittsburgh's shot one through the uprights after they keep doinking the uprights. Um uh, who the Texans played to a tie, which that was embarrassing. You know, you got Levy Smith punting. And to your point about fourth downs, are you not going to trust your offense to go out there and get the? I know it's a tough play. I know it's a lot of yardage, but you've got to go out there and give the effort in a tie ball game to know that I'm not just going to kick this ball to the other team and they're going to kneel on it. We're going to, hey, thanks. The great game. Thanks for showing up for yeah. nothing. But yeah. like you said, why why have if you're the coach and I had no idea that uh, Nathaniel Hackett is the head coach for uh, the Denver, Denver Broncos. He's a younger guy. We know that analytics have crept into the game, like Tuttle is talking about. Why have analytics if you're going to go against them? And like you said, you just paid this dude two hundred and fifty million dollars. You've got some good weapons, I believe, on that Broncos offense. You don't have a play that Russell can run to try and get the the yardage to go out there and try and get a little bit closer, extend the ball game, and try and win it with a better option at field goal. And the delusion that McManus is going to go out there and kick 64-yard field goals anywhere in the USA other than Denver is bonkers to me. Maybe in Arizona, a little bit lighter air, but dude, watching him kick during the week at practice in Denver – and then going right. to Seattle is like playing on the Pacific Ocean out there at Puget Sound and think the football is going to travel just as far and be a be a makeable kick doesn't make any yeah. sense but where where on the sideline do you have that conversation say 42% chance of getting the first down as opposed to 14% hmm yeah. let's kick it i don't i don't understand that yeah. And you know they have all the statistics prior to the game. So they kind of know where oh, it's yeah. at. And McManus kicking this direction, maybe 60 is his best or, you know, 58, 59. I mean, somebody pointed out, uh, I heard a pundit say, you know, that, that would have been the second longest field goal, made field goal in the history of the NFL <laughs> if he had made it. And Add that and I to think the equation. The, the golf analogy always sits well for me, which is, you know, you, you and I've golfed together before, but you're sitting there with a club in your hand and you're like, mm, like 210. I think I can make it 210. Yeah, this is the right club for 210. Well, what do you do when you try and get a little extra out of that club, right? It's like, yeah, you, give you know, the you yank it. Jerk. Right. Yeah. But that's what McManus did. He pulled it left because he, you know, he was, it wasn't in his comfort zone. It wasn't smooth. He tried to put a little extra oomph in it and that's what happened. So I think, you know, we saw this a lot. Um, look at, 
not to go steroids here, but we we've said that you know we brought up Andy Pettit before and some of the other guys like even David Ortiz and he just ignored the whole thing. But guys that apologize, saying you know I took something, it was unintentional, or you know I was trying to recover from an injury. What about? I mean, what about Brian Dayball with the Giants going for two and winning the game? Uh, 21-20 and the Giants have had this like losing mentality and this kind of like, here we go again. You know, the Houston Texans, like, oh, nobody expects them to be good. I actually thought they were going to be good with their Stanford quarterback. Um, and they were up 20-3 to and then they just gave that away. Lovey Smith did the old like prevent defense, you know, prevent you from winning. Oh, gosh. And they let him back the in the game. Back in the day, you know. Yeah, but I look at Brian Dayball this week and if he lost 20 to 19, I think he still gets more credibility than Nathaniel Hackett and Air you know, on the side of aggressiveness. Smith. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm trying to change the mentality here, damn it. You know, that kind of like pound the table. And look at the but Giants that come out of the- believing. Dude, the Giants are going to come out of that week. I mean, you know, they, they didn't play a great game and they didn't have to play a great team either, he but the Giants his come own out momentum. Of, this is yeah, that's a good point. Totally agree. So the Giants come out of week one just crushing it, whereas Houston and, and you know, Indianapolis, the old kissing your sister thing. Um, and, and you know, and as we said, Nathaniel Hackett. I mean, the great thing about the NFL, we do talk about grinding in baseball. There's 17 of these weeks. Week one does not define uh, any of these teams. And we know week to week in the NFL, next week we're going to be like, I can't believe how great the Packers were. Because I remember last year, oh, I know. the Packers came out and got lambasted. And now that, you know, they have Aaron Rodgers, their quarterback, the ship will get righted. Russell Wilson's going to start winning games in Denver and, you know, all, all will be right with the world. But I do, I do think the Giants probably did more for themselves by going for two, being aggressive, getting the fan base behind them, creating their own momentum. And honestly, Denver would have a lot less criticism today if they had gone for it and, you know, and didn't make it. I think that it, a lot of it has to go with preparation because, you know, hearing some of the postgame comments uh, from uh, Dable up in uh, up in the Giants, New York Giants, is that he kind of, you know, he said, if we score, we're going for two. And he kind of looked around at his coaches and looked around at some of the players and goes, what do you think? And all of them were like, F yeah. So all of a sudden you create this culture that says, we're going to bust our ass and go out there and try and win football games. And we're going to take chances because I think you're right. There are some organizations in the position where, you know what, we've gotten to the point where we've tried to massage this as long as we can. Now we need to kind of buck the system and just go for it and just be aggressive and and err on the side of aggressiveness. That's where I think the Broncos kind of got lost. And we always talk about you know, preseason, how important is it? I think it's pretty important for coaches too, because if you're not planning out that situation and have the mindset going into that situation, it's going to surprise you and it may alter the decision you make. And I watch a lot of baseball, call a lot of baseball, watch a lot of sports. And when I see those situations, like we're talking about for the Denver Broncos, I kind of sit there and I'm, and I'll think about it in my head, you know, obviously now being on the media side is Uh how am I going to answer this question? Because there is going to be a question. They're not going to ask about the play in the first quarter that didn't allow me to go score a touchdown, which could have been a huge play in the game. They're going to ask about the the fourth and five. They're going to ask why I kicked instead of used Russell Wilson to get me that first down and went for the second longest field goal in NFL history. That's what I think about. How am I going to answer that question? I don't know if that's the right mindset or a good managerial or head coach type of mindset. But if I'm sitting there going... What would I? What question would I rather answer? Why did you go for it on fourth and five, or why did you try and kick the second longest field goal in NFL history on the road in Seattle? 
I completely agree. And I think what you just hit the nail on the head with, and this is where you see this with coaches. I think you've talked about Bochi before. I mean, as you become a professional, you know what situations he likes to use you in. Maybe you go down in the tunnel, take a few swings off the tee, and there it is, seventh inning, and you see the double switch coming. Like, Blum, you ready? You're like, yep, I took some swings. I got some ground balls. Brian Dayball saying, hey, if we score on this drive, we're going to go for two. It's not a decision you make after you score the touchdown. This is a mindset and something you plant in the team and the coaches and everybody prior. And I think it gets you, we've talked consistently on this podcast about chemistry and believing in each other. It just gets you, you know, it gets everybody rowing the boat in the same direction, train going, you know, down the tracks in the, in the right direction. And I think, um, it's interesting to look at the dichotomy here, you know, even in week one. And we know week two is going to bring uh, hopefully a victory in fantasy football for us, but also uh, a lot more fodder for discussion. So why don't we uh, take a break here for our sponsors on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and uh, we'll be right back. All right. Welcome back here to the Bleacher Blums podcast on the uh, Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is David Tuttle. I am having the good fortune of working this podcast with my friend Jeff Blum, a 14-year major leaguer. Uh, you can reach Blummer at Blummer27 on Instagram and Twitter. Myself at Real David Tuttle on Instagram and Twitter, and we're happy to have you back in. Um, we just talked about fantasy football, a little college football, and then how the NFL is now using analytics, we think, to make <laughs> shitty decisions just like uh, baseball managers and GMs are doing. So um, let's talk about a little baseball. Uh, Blummer, an article this morning, didn't read the whole thing from front to back, but we talked about the uh, minor league unionization, joining the MLBPA and getting some leverage there, and how I missed the boat on that in my years of playing. Well, there's an article saying that they're going to start awarding gold gloves to utility players. And I'm thinking that Jeff Blum missed the boat on that. That might have been something you could have pulled off one year based on the tweet we saw this week that you are still the record holder of errorless games at third base. Now, we don't believe in jinxes. Anybody that's listened to this from podcast number one, little superstition, but no jinxes. But is there a way that we can jinx Alex Bregman? You guys have already won 90 games. If he makes boots a ball over there at third base, then uh, Blummer can be the record holder for, uh, for the foreseeable future. Well, that was that's what was crazy is that last it was actually a week ago the Framber Valdez was pitching and he gets a ton of ground balls so on defense you're kind of on your toes anticipating ground balls and the Astros went out and committed three errors you had Yuli Gurriel uh, had a 51 maybe a 51 game errorless streak going he booted one Alex Bregman had his second 44 game errorless streak broken on a ground ball and it wasn't on fielding or throwing it was on the exchange that's what's blue that's what blew my mind usually it's a bad hop uh you get lazy and all of a sudden you kick one or you airmail it for some reason you don't get a good grip on the ball but it was on the exchange where they were trying to make the the glove to the bare hand and ended up dropping it and the runner got on but in doing so, and this is the God's honest truth, the truck does a good job of getting some of these numbers. And they actually made a graphic, posted it, and I'm reading off. I'm like, wow, Alex Bregman, you know, two 44-game airless streaks. I'm going, man, that's pretty good. And I'm kind of looking at the list. I'm like, Bob Aspermani. And then I went, wait a minute. My name's at the yeah. top of that list. What the hell? Uh-huh. And it was a 65, 65 uh game streak that I had. I don't, I can't even tell you what year it was, but... I was kind of stoked. I was like, damn, all right, I did do something good. 
For you, it could have been over a couple years, by the way. It doesn't yeah, have to seriously. be, right? I mean, you could have done 37 at the end of 2002 and then, you know, another 30 to start the next year, right? Absolutely. I mean, no, that yeah. definitely 100%. Um, and one of the things that I will kind of pat myself on the back about is that I, I did take a lot of pride on defense because you know as well as I do, when you're that utility type guy and you're not getting the regular at bats, you're going to have flashes of brilliance and big games. But the one thing that kind of helps you stay on the ball club is limiting runs, limiting run, runners, making plays. And uh, I took a lot of pride in that, but uh, that was kind of cool to see and pop up. But I love the idea even though it's way past my time, but I love the idea of giving these utility guys gold gloves because now in, a, in this day and age, we talk about starting pitchers. Don't go, don't throw complete games. They don't go eight innings every time they go out. They, they come out after two times through the lineup or they come out in the fifth inning, the sixth inning, and then they're done and they hand it off to specialists out of the bullpen. Why can't we give a little love to the guys who come in and play uh, play 40 to 60 games a year and do it in a in an effortless fashion making all the plays and give those guys some love man i love this idea well so does alfred apparently alfred loves I, it too yeah so what i was going to say about that is the the this reminds me of the um the thought I had before where I pinch ran, I used to pinch run on occasion and it don't ask me why. I mean, you know, national league team, we had DH or whatever, but here, you know, Tuttle comes in to pinch run. I'm leading off first base. Where, where's that Tuttle? Yeah. Guy? Where's a body? a body? Who pitched last night? Who got shelled <laughs> last night? Tuttle, did you have your cleats on? Yeah, I got my, I got my cleats on skipper spire. Yeah, I got my cleats on. All right, go pinch run. And I'm standing on first base and I've told the story before, but I think it's relevant. And the guy, that was playing first base for the A's AAA team, said his grandfather played in the big leagues. I should remember the guy's name. He goes, he goes, my grandfather played baseball for a long time. And he goes, he goes, he told me that pinch running is the worst job in the world. He goes, if you do it right, nobody even knows you came into the game. If you screw it up, then, you know, you got your, your, you know, your name goes down in infamy. And I was like, oh, I never thought of that. Now I'm leading <laughs> off. Like I'm getting closer to the bag, which is probably the whole intention that the guy said it. And I think the same thing for utility guys. And you just kind of touched on this. You had no idea that you had a 65 um, errorless or 65 yeah. game errorless streak at third base. And as I said, it could have bled over a couple years. But there is a lot more pressure on a utility guy coming in, like, all right, seventh inning, double switch. Yeah, he's yeah. got a no hitter going, Blum, but you're in there. You're like, well, really? Change. Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah, first ball, two hoppers smashed at you. And you're like, oh, God, I hope I don't airmail. Ooh. Anyway, I think you think. The mentality of an athlete, and hopefully people that listen to this can, you know, grasp some of this, but sometimes there's a little bigger weight on your shoulder and you do have to practice it and you do have to get used to it. And I think coming in the game late or coming in the game, you know, a day game after a night game when you're tired like everybody else, but you know it's your day is, uh, you know, there's often a little more pressure in terms of, you know, being smooth and making it a transition where you're not noticed and you're not noticeable. It's like, hey, Blum does a damn good job when he comes in you know he went two for three today two for four didn't make any errors like you know we'll give him a we'll give him another game about five days from now see how he does so anyway i i, I do kind of think it's one of those thankless things if you do your job right you didn't even know you had an errorless streak because nobody put the accolades like hey here's a guy that had 60 whereas ryan sandberg every game he had a you know no error it was like let's keep this thing going um dude that guy's anyway. range was a step in up. Well, Five, maybe he, that was 
I my first pitching coach was a you know got a cup of coffee in the big leagues with the Cubs. He mm-hmm. said they they just hate it when Sandberg's playing second base. You get a little jam shot and it goes up the middle for a base hit, and you're like, oh yeah, Rhino's playing yeah. second base, but he's hitting three twenty, and you know doesn't want <laughs> to doesn't want to make an error. Three twenty, so. <laughs> that's right, and he doesn't want to make an error. So you're like, great, I, you know, dude, so true. No, but I love this idea with the. Uh, with the lawsuit that that guy came out about the Astros in the trash can, not to bring that up, but I think it's hilarious. Uh, oh, you did. Maybe the pitchers, the pitchers that had a cup of coffee when Sandberg was having a, when he had the errorless streak going, they could have a lawsuit too, saying that Sandberg didn't give it his all. Like he just, oh my gosh, here was yeah. his channel. Well, they could go to the <laughs> like, analytics. Look been, at his UZR rating; it yeah. was terrible. I would have stayed in the big leagues. Like, look, I gave up 20 ground balls to second base that ended up being base hits that would have been outs for I any other second job. baseman. <laughs> I did my job. And I do it again. Anyway. Uh, if Sandberg wasn't playing. We digress. So let's let's uh, let's get into the playoff discussion and then wrap this thing up. What do we what do we see come down? Our predictions, obviously, at the beginning of the year where the Blue Jays are going to make the World Series. So uh, <clears throat> so let's hope mm. they make the playoffs. They have to do they have to make the playoffs in order to make the World Series, Jeff? I'm I'm a little unclear about that. Yeah, it's a good start. You need a ticket to the dance. So All yeah, right. getting in there. But it's a little bit easier this year. We, I don't, I'm not sure if anybody really hasn't understood the fact that they've expanded the playoffs to, obviously, there's going to be three division winners. Now, now there are three. There's an extra wild card spot put in there. So you're going to have the extra wild card spot, which helps out the Blue Jays getting in because they're pl- they're playing very good baseball down the stretch. They had some issues early on, but they've definitely figured it out. And, and that's what I think myself and maybe Tuttle were thinking about too with this team is that the offense is so explosive. If they do get hot, they can compensate for some bad pitching, but they've actually got Romano at the back end of the bullpen and they've done a very good job. How about this? As Before we start talking about the wild card and the situation, the fact that the Blue Jays are five and a half games behind the New York Yankees with 20 to 21 games left blows my mind. I don't know if you remember this, but earlier in the season, right around All-Star break, they were saying that the New York Yankees were going to break the 2001 record of the Seattle Mariners for 116 wins. And now they haven't even gotten to 90 wins yet, and here come the Toronto Blue Jays surging. So it's trending in the right direction for us to get the Blue Jays in there, but uh, they're kind of flipping and flopping between Seattle, Toronto, and Tampa Bay on those three wildcard spots. It's just a matter of seeding now because nobody's going to catch those three teams in the, in the uh, American League. Which is great. And honestly, uh, it's funny because the Rays could still win the East, I guess. I mean, the Blue Jays have yeah, a tougher Yeah, they're only six pass, games I, back. Yeah. Oh, so the Rays are further than the Blue Jays. So so actually, the Blue Jays and the Rays, if the Yankees continue their trajectory, one of them could give a run for the American League East. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, we've talked about the National League West like last year because the Giants kind of came out of their shoes, but you had the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Padres. But I think this year by far – the you know and i didn't intend to talk about this but the american league is by far the best division and actually the orioles yeah. have ruffled a lot of feathers the orioles are the up and coming team and they looked really damn good mm-hmm. and i think they're going to be a team to contend with in the future and i mean you got to be pretty happy if you're um you know, if you're in the American League East and looking at that competitive structure, the parity. But, you know, we talked about it last podcast. There's nothing really to say. And it's maybe because we're, you said you're on the, you know, the media side now, but 
what happened to the Yankees? I mean, boys, if the Rays or the Blue Jays win that win the East, I mean that that's a kind of a colossal collapse, obviously. But that would be a, if that if they do not win the East, I think that you would see Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman on that chopping block. I think now if they do get into the playoffs, if they lose in that first round, there still may be the opportunity for them to have that kind of turnover. But it's just amazing how we talked on the Pinstripes podcast about last year about Aaron Boone kind of being in that situation of maybe being fired, starts off to electric this season. Now they're talking extension, and now we're back to talking about firing these guys. I can't – New York Yankees have got to be one of the more – tumultuous, you know, soap operas in baseball. I can't even imagine trying to play or manage or general manage in that type of situation. It might be more fun to general manage just because you have the purse strings kind of taken off and you can go spend and go get the guys you want, but you still have to motivate these guys to play. I love the fact that they are threatening and that conversation's kind of been uh, put on the back burner. Now it's just, just get to the playoffs. Uh, on the National League side, dude, the Dodgers have already clinched a playoff berth. They are 20 and a half games up. And then the Cardinals are eight games up on Milwaukee. And then you have the New York Mets and Braves duking it out. I think the Braves might be the best team with the Dodgers in the National League. I don't know if you feel the same way, but they are pretty damn good. I do. I mean, defending World Series champs. I mean, who knew? And we're, they kind of still are flying under the radar. I mean, I think it it goes to your point about the Yankees. Why are we always so focused on the Yankees? I mean, we didn't have them as the number one outright winner right? of the World yeah. Series at the beginning of the year. We all thought so we the were Blue right Jays were there. Yeah, right. But then the Yankees kind of, you know, like you said, they started off with their kind of meteoric play and, you know, playing out of their out of their head, you know. We got to play 162 of these things. That's why they play the game. But I do think the Dodgers, I just don't know if they have the chemistry and they've had really kind of an uncontested trip to where they are now. The yeah. Blue Jays and Mets, which are the Blue Jays, the Braves and the Mets, whoever kind of comes out of that, that, that knife fight in the alley, I think to your point, the Braves won the World Series last year. They're battle-tested. They have better pitching. We continue to always go back to yeah. pitching and defense. They've lost a couple guys, but man, if their bullpen's hot at the right time and their starters, you know, get those three guys going. Um, and then, you know, the Cardinals, always the sneaky Cardinals, man. You know, Wainwright and Yadier Molina trying to get one last uh, one last championship, you know, for the Cardinals. <laughs> Albert Pujols, dude. Albert Pujols is going to have 700 home runs coming off the bench. Are you kidding me? Oh, man. And he's on fire, too. That and then you add in, you know, that's right. But then you add in Arenado and Goldschmidt, oh, which we've talked about all year. Two players they're, in the big leagues, yeah. Yeah. They're, I tell you, when you don't play against the Cardinals and you watch them play, I, you know, it's a it's an organizational style. They identify guys so that play true. their way and they so bring true. them into the fold. And I just I agree. That's a that's a completely that's a completely like grinding team. And they're up eight and a half and they weren't kind of slated to do it. I you know, I don't know if they have enough pitching. I know they have like nine dudes that throw a hundred in the bullpen. <laughs> so it's kind of like Who's coming out this tonight throwing a hundred? I mean, they they seem to have a few more guys that throw a hundred than the rest of the. Uh, and then, of course, your lovely Astros. And I know you have another podcast where you talk heavily Astros, but man, the Astros bullpen is. Oh I mean, man! And the Astros won their ninetieth game yesterday. So let's not let's not sleep on no Strohs, right? You're gonna have the yeah. Strohs. Yeah, it's gonna be the Strohs, the Blue Jays. I don't see the Yankees. Strohs, Blue Jays, or Rays probably representing. 
the American League, and it's going to be Dodgers, Braves, or Mets. And I just don't see the Mets. I mean, if DeGrom and Scherzer were healthy, we talked about that. But it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, it's got to be the Braves or the, uh, yeah, the Braves or the Braves or the Dodgers. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I oh, no, in the playoffs. Yeah. But I'm saying, I think the championship series going to the World Series, like you said, I think it is going to be the Braves and the Dodgers. Uh, yeah. I, I love Scherzer. I love DeGrom, but I think Scherzer's beatable. I think yeah. that you can pitch to the Mets lineup as opposed to the Braves lineup is just lethal. You know, yeah. if Albies if Albies comes back and plays second base, they're going to move on Grissom, who's a phenomenal player to left yeah, field, and they just player, get yeah. deeper. Michael Harrison, or Michael yeah. Harris out there, the second out in center field, yeah. that dude is freaking good. Yeah. Yep. But they have a they have a legit lineup. They have a well their new staff. pitcher, the guy that punched out Spencer 16, Strider. that guy you yeah. said you saw him. That guy, like, where did he come from? Like, all right, that you're ball, good. <laughs> that ball is a rocket launcher out of his hand, dude. I've yeah. never it's it's amazing. And yeah. uh you got Charlie Morton back healthy too. I mean, that that guy, he's he's that kind of like old veteran wild card that just kind of ah, we'll throw him in the third game and he goes out there and wipes out 12 guys in six innings. You're like, damn, old yeah. man still has it. Yeah, he's like your uh, he's your hired assassin is what he yeah. is. I mean, he's it, the he's guy. It's like ah. he's that ninja that kind of sits in the back, and all of a sudden you're yeah. you know your throat's cut, and you're like, who the freak? And yeah, it's yeah. Charlie Where freaking Morton. Yeah. What were you gonna say about San Diego? So we talked about the Dodgers already clinched that playoff berth, a twenty and a half game lead in the West. But guess what? The Padres have a hold on that third wild card spot. Is there any fear or any idea of maybe they could be a threat in the postseason with the with the roster that they have? I don't know. I just don't think they have the pitching, honestly. I mean, that's, that's I completely agree on that. Josh Hader's been a train wreck. Yeah, he's struggled and they need that. So I, I actually think it's more the starting. If they could get, you know, Clevenger and Snell and some of their Darvish, guys just yeah. to yeah, if they could just be consistent enough to get in, but I mean, uh, this is where the, the I think the regular season does does translate a little bit for the playoffs in that it, you do need some momentum. We talked about with the uh, the uh, New York Giants football team creating their own momentum. You have to kind of come into the playoffs like the Blue Jays are on the up and up, the Rays are on the up and up. You know, the Yankees yeah, are on the downturn. Up. Yeah, if you're trending in the right direction, that's why I don't, that's I almost don't think it matters if the Yankees make the playoffs or not because it's going to be the other teams that are going to, you know, boat race them because mm-hmm. they're on the upswing, right? They're they're trending in the right direction. They've got all their ducks in a row for lack of a better term. And I think that the Padres are just this just isn't their year. Tatis had the, you know, the wrist fracture and then he had the PED suspension and yes, they got Soto and yes, they got Hader and they got some other guys, but they, I don't think they have the pitching and defense to make it through. And so, you know, it's almost like, hey, Bob Melvin's the manager. If they make the playoffs, then he might be able to throw a wrench into, you know, maybe the first series or there may be some. Yeah, the shorter um, series. Yeah. Know, yeah, there may be something where they could actually even win a series. But I mean, are they going to give the Dodgers or Braves a run for their money? I, I just I don't see no. it happening. So yeah, no. If if you're a San Diego fan, and obviously I watch them out of the corner of my eye, just having been with the organization, and I'm a Bob Melvin fan. Yeah, is in the short series. You, you you're right. I think if you if you create the right matchups, you can surprise a team and maybe beat them. But when you get into that second round and that third round, that's when you start to see the exposure. And that's why if ever if you ever ask yourself why are they playing you know a five game series, why are they playing a seven game series, this is the reason why. It's to give the true 
better team, more opportunities to win or more opportunities to expose the other team. But if you catch a uh, team on a hot streak, and that's what freaks me out about the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, is if they just pitch well enough to hold a team to four or five runs and their offense is scoring seven to nine, that's where where the panic kind of sets in for me because I feel like that offense for Toronto has that kind of ability just to – shock the world and just go out there and start bombing away. But uh, the defense for the Blue Jays is a question mark for me too. Good, good call yeah. on the defense because when you get it, pitching a defense wins championships, obviously, <laughs> but you have to have the timely hitting to go with it. And that's where, you know, the, the Astros are, are threats because they pitch and play defense so well, but they have the yeah. guys that can thump you. And then like the Braves, like you're talking about, they have a pretty healthy lineup that can go out there and play really good defense with good pitching. And then all of a sudden, holy crap, there's a two-run home run from Austin Riley. And then Michael Harris comes up hitting seventh or eighth or something in that lineup. Yeah. And he'll hit a two-run jack. And all of a sudden, you're going, damn, we're down four? Yeah. And coming back against four runs is almost impossible in the postseason. I agree. And Swanson down to the bottom of the order, yeah. sometimes at the top. Contract you have Swanson year. and Grissom and you know there and Riley. I mean, they have a deep lineup. And I think, yeah, Man. that's where we've talked. Acuna I mean, Jr. I think that's back. That's right. That could be a theme for our podcast, which would be pitching and defense. That could just mm-hmm. kind of be a tagline for it. But that's that's always with the caveat of the lineup. I mean, the Astros have a thumping lineup. The Braves have a formidable lineup. The Dodgers. Dodgers. And those are the teams, like you said. I mean, anybody that can put up a crooked number in the playoffs if if things go awry are gonna that's gonna be those are gonna be the teams that rise to the top. And I think, you know, I think we're pretty on point with that. So um, do we have anything else you want to want to throw in there? Or are we we good for the no, day? No, I think we're, we might be at the tail end of this thing, man. We've been chatting for for quite a while here, bro. Yeah. Hey, I think we're at the tail end. We got to save something for next week. Uh, you know, I might be on with uh, tears in my eyes if I if I can't pull out a victory in fantasy football. But uh, we always want to give a shout out to the uh, to the military and first responders, uh, fire, police, folks like that who you know really provide a, uh, a pathway and the freedom for us to kind of put ourselves in harm way, but the freedom t- for us to do this podcast and uh, be who we are. Um, you know, I'm sure they're playing some fantasy football around the world. So, I hope uh, so. anybody That's have any, call. anybody have any advice? I'm, I'm kind of co-GMing this with uh, our listeners just to get a W. I need a W. I don't think I've won a fantasy football game in our, in our league in about, I don't know. It's been a while. It's been about 10 weeks. I think I have no idea. <laughs> anyway, so shout out to first responders, police, military, uh, firefighters, um, I guess uh, teachers, healthcare workers. I think the uh, COVID pandemic is still um, is on the back burner, but obviously the healthcare workers uh, are certainly uh, integral into uh, you know taking care of us and doing the right thing, I guess. So if you're over the age of 45, don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Blummer. Get after it and believe it. Their pitching's a little thin too. Is Snell is Snell healthy? What'd you get? Is that a green juice? That sounds I went awesome. With a little smooth like kale, spinach. <laughs> that sounds so good. That's like that's your elephant taking a dump again. <laughs> <laughs>